Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, speak your word to us through scripture, through sermon, through your creation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was a boy, I used to spend hours staring out a window in my parents' bedroom. I was mesmerized by the two hives, beehives, that my father had placed between the house and the garage. I watched the forager bees leaving and returning to the hives, going on their mission sorties out in the big, wide world to find and collect pollen and bring it back to the hive. I would watch the temperature controller bees who would be lined up at the hive's entrance, flapping their wings to keep the hive air-conditioned. And I wondered what was going on inside. What were those builders, guards, nurses, drones, undertakers, and queen up to? Children are capable of that kind of sustained attention to critters. I remember watching my daughter Paige when she was small, spending the better part of an hour watching this ladybug crawl all over her hand and arms. I watch Emery giving undivided attention to anything that she finds crawling on the ground. Well, there was a day before screens and books and other diversions when most adults would give their undivided attention for hours to nature like that. There wasn't this same degree of separation that we have today between human lives and plant and animal life or between us and the elements. Their fascination came out of curiosity and entertainment and partly out of necessity and survival. But the result was that any adult would immediately understand illustrations, metaphors, parables, proverbs that drew on the natural world. The book of Proverbs is full of examples where knowledge of nature is assumed and thus is this great source material for teaching a lesson or two. Consider these examples from chapter 6 and chapter 30 of Proverbs and listen not only for the lessons that are being taught, listen also for the living word of God. Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, it prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, O lazy bones? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. And then from chapter 30. Four things on earth are small, yet they are exceedingly wise. The ants 
are a people without strength, yet they provide for food in the summer. The badgers are a people without power, yet they make their homes in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard can be grasped in the hand, and yet is found in king's palaces. Three things are stately in their stride, four are stately in their gait. The lion, which is the mightiest among wild animals and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster, the he-goat, and a king striding before his people. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as pressing milk produces curds, and pressing the nose produces blood, so pressing anger produces strife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The lizard can be grasped in the hand, but can be found in king's palaces. Aren't palaces built to keep animals like that out? On Tuesday, I had a lunch with Catherine Walker. We talked about the separation between houses and nature and how it's not so clearly defined when houses are built in or next to woods. She told me about the uninvited guest in her house because she lives right up next to the woods, and I told her about the uninvited guest to Winrig, my parents' house in Montreal. Once, for instance, my father was sitting out there on the deck reading a book when a black bear decided to join him, just climbed right on up onto the deck to be with him, probably after the hummingbird feeders that are up there. Well, dad was up there with this bear and he slipped inside and then came back with an umbrella and opened it and closed it to scare the bear away. Well, I wasn't there to see that happen, but I did see this at Montreat. It was early morning and Ed McLeod and I were staying there for a coming education event. Well, we happened to come upstairs from the basement at the same time. I was searching for a cup of coffee. Well, it turns out I did not need that cup of coffee to wake up. I saw in the den, curled up beside one of the French doors with its windows, a black snake that was at least five feet long. That was the bad news. The worst news was that the snake was not poisonous. I say that's the worst news because I didn't have an excuse to call for animal control or some Navy SEAL team or SWAT team to come get that thing out. You know, we guy friends, at least those who are my friends, we had this guy code that we need to take care of things like that ourselves, which we did by one of us opening the door and the other gently urging the snake outside with a broom. And I then casually told my mother that we took care of it. When inside, I really wanted to say, Mama, give me a hug. We build houses to keep animals like that out. We keep churches to keep them out as well. Just this past week, Mark Wigginton, Ben Brannan, and Brady Anderson chased a bat out of this church. It was flying all over the place, up and down the hallways near the sanctuary and in Kirk Hall. They had to chase it out. The church that I served in Jackson, Mississippi, had a tower that looked like a beehive. Well, bees thought so too and moved right in. 
And when I began my ministry there, thousands of bees lived up in this tower, and despite efforts to plug holes, both honey and dying bees would drop down in the chancel area underneath. Now, because it was the chancel area, the congregation didn't have to worry about the dripping honey, and they didn't have to worry about most of the dying bees, though a few would fly out their way, but the preacher sure did. When I preached, I not only had to be aware of what I was saying and being aware of the congregation that was around me on three sides, I had to be aware of the bees that might suddenly drop on my manuscript or in my hair. We finally got that problem taken care of. And after telling Catherine Walker at that Tuesday lunch my story about the snake in mom and dad's den, I went on to tell her what happened once in the church that my friend David Dickerson once served. Some of you remember David when he served as our Paris associate for visitation. Well, years ago, David was in the middle of preaching a sermon from the pulpit of Bethesda Presbyterian Church, one of the oldest churches in Virginia. It is located in Rockbridge County on an absolutely beautiful spot on a wooded hill overlooking a turn in the river. It's the kind of place one would want to build a house or a church. It's also the kind of place where animals like to hang as well. Well, David was preaching away when he happened to glance over to the organist to his left. Now, normally she would be looking at him because she enjoyed his sermons, but this time... She was not looking at him. She was absolutely still, staring at the back wall to her immediate right. And David then saw what had stolen her undivided attention. An incredibly long snake had slithered through a hole in the wall. If the half that was inside the wall was as long as the half that was outside, this snake was a doozy, and it was calmly suspended studying the organist's face just a few feet away. Well, David could see that it was a harmless black snake. He stopped his sermon and said to the congregation, I know we're Presbyterians who don't engage in some worship practices that are practiced in other parts of this world, but uh, right now we do need some snake handlers. And then he pointed over to the wall. Well, this was a rural church where the guy code about such things is even stronger than among my friends, and several teenage boys were more than happy to jump up to the task. And several of them rushed back there. They grabbed the snake and pulled hard. And it was remarkable, David said, how strong that snake was to stay inside that wall. But they finally ripped it out and then recessed down the aisle, holding the snake high with the congregation cheering. No one remembers David's sermon, but they all remember being in church that Sunday. That snake was not supposed to be in that church. The bees were not supposed to be in Briarwood's Tower, and that bat was not supposed to be flying down Second Presbyterian's hallways. I wonder, though, if the animal kingdom will have the same opinion about us when we're worshiping at Braylock later on. We're not going to be completely outside. We'll be under roof, but we will be in this open-air pavilion. We will not be surrounded by stained glass windows, but by scenes of the natural habitat of things that crawl, slither, swim, and fly. Perhaps this will be a chance for us to have something of an ecumenical experience of species diversity as we consider whose world this is.
the wisdom writers would encourage it. In Scripture, one might say that there is this inside tradition and there is an outside tradition. The Torah tradition is located inside, inside a book, inside a temple with its holy of holies, inside an ark where there is contained the Ten Commandments, inside a tradition, a tradition of Scripture, a tradition of worship practices passed down from one generation to the next. Well, the wisdom writers are just as comfortable outside. Wisdom writers saw creation, they saw the world and all its creatures almost as a second Torah, a second source of God's truth. Having already studied the scriptures and received the tradition, already having that as a part of themselves, they looked at nature and experience for wisdom as how to live as God's people in this amazing world that we live in. The verses that I read from Proverbs offer wonderful examples. As you know, the classic uninvited guests to picnics are ants. Well, imagine the writer of our verses from Proverbs 6 being the uninvited guest to their going-ons. He would be uninvited because his head would be right over them, studying them, watching what they're doing. You see, he wouldn't have a microscope or a fish tank or one of those ant farms with a colony somehow pressed between two clear sheets of plastic. He'd be on his knees watching as ants determinedly march in single file and he would put obstacles in their path to see what they would do, and he would see how they would change direction, but they would not change their destination as they go around the obstacles to get to their goal. He would take note of how an ant could do what Elizabeth said earlier that they can do, carry something many times its weight. He watches how during the warmer months they store up food for forage so they'll have something to eat when they hibernate during the colder months. He sees the ants, each so small, work together to accomplish mighty things. And then he gets up and he uh, stretches his back and goes back to the village and he sees how some lays around when there is work to be done, expecting others to do it for them, or at least waiting for someone else to tell them to do what they should already know that they should be doing. Hey, lazy bones, he might say. You heard it. He does some name calling. He says lazy bones in our passage. Lazy bones, look at the ant. Study its ways. Ants work while you sleep. You know, in February, you're going to be begging for food above ground, and they'll be enjoying a feast underground. The writer of Proverbs of chapter 30 had a different audience in mind than those lazy bones. He first has in mind those who might not have much and who might not seem all that impressive, but they still work hard. They still have a place in this life, and he wants to encourage them. He tells them, look at the ants. They're small, but look how much they can pull off. Look at those badgers. They're not strong, but they live in rocks. Look at the locusts. They have no king, but look how they work together for both production and protection. And then the writer goes on to give his shout out to lizards that can somehow find themselves into places that most can't, like inside king's palaces. The writer saw then what we see today, 
that it's easy to focus on limitations and excuses, but these small animals, they live big, and it's often because they live big together. If we could make our writer of Proverbs sound like a self-help promotional speaker, we might imagine his saying, find your inner ant and be productive. Find your inner badger and be resourceful and resilient. Find your inner locust and join others in getting things done. Find your inner lizard and don't be afraid of exploring this big world of ours. And then the writer turns his focus to another audience. Instead of those who think too little of themselves and need encouragement, he speaks to those who think too much of themselves and who need to be brought down to size. Those who think that they're, they're, they're like a lion and being the mightiest of them all. I'll tell you who else thinks that way. The rooster who struts around like a lion in order to impress the hens. Well, you see how the rooster looks because you know that a rooster can be the meal of a fox or maybe the meat in somebody's soup tomorrow. Well, even kings who think too highly of themselves can look just as silly. He doesn't come right out and say this. He just gives these analogies and lets you draw the conclusion. There are hundreds of proverbs like these. The writers, already shaped by worship and study of Scripture, have given long, sustained, and loving attention to the world around them, expecting to learn more about being a creature in God's creation. The fields, woods, and pond around Braylock's pavilion would be for them like books in a library of a different sort. They remind us that like Adam, all of humanity is not meant to live alone. Now, we may build our houses and our churches to separate ourselves, but we're part of this larger habitat that is God's world. Seeing how other plants and animals make a place within the world teaches us how to find our own rightful place in the world if we'll only be humble enough to learn. I imagine that the beginning wisdom of such an informed life would know that to live well is to live in some kind of harmony with what else needs to breathe the air we breathe, the water we drink, the land on which we live. We would be grateful for what sustains us and care for what is needed to sustain those to come. We would accept limits to life and then explore opportunity within those limits. We would see the need to be good neighbors even to other species. In fact, we might even get to that place to which other wisdom writers arrive, the psalmist, get to that place where we have the sense that in finding our proper place within creation that includes its care, that we would be joining with congregants of nature, like mountains, flowing streams, blooming flowers, and singing birds, and giving praise to God. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.